And we're good. Hello. And welcome back to March Madness. It's March. We're mad. I'm crazy about this bracket stuff. Hey, so if you join us for the first Media Boat Podcast, March Madness Podcast of 2020, which is what you're listening to right now. Uh, well, no, you're not listening to the first one. But if you did listen to the first one, you'll know that this year our March Madness bracket is... The best television shows of the 2010s. Yeah, end of a decade, time to review stuff. So yeah. Or rank it? Uh, yeah, rank it, exactly. Well, I mean, actually we're not ranking it, we're just choosing one. Yeah, we're choosing one. We could rank it. But no, we're not going to rank thing. it. It's just um, process of elimination. Right, process of elimination is exactly what we're doing here. So if you're a long-time listener, first-time caller of Media Both Podcast, you would know. We've done this in the past four years. We've done Disney movies, we've done Pixar movies, we've stopped doing movies and did video games for a year. Now we're doing television. And yes, as you've said, best television of the 2010s because we are on the precipice of a new decade. So time to look back. So if you listen to our first episode, you'll know that we did network TV shows the first time. Just to recap our top four in that episode, we, we narrowed it down to we, four shows. We ended up choosing The Office... This is us, Modern Family, and The Big Bang Theory. Yes, for four wildly different reasons. <laughs> um, so if that sounds like a weird bunch of uh, shows, there's reason. I mean, you got three comedies in there. Three comedies, a drama, but a drama that you could argue like changed the approach of television drama on television. And also um, like built upon the drama that had come before it exactly. and improved it. One show that in one of those comedies was the most watched and most divisive comedy of the 2010s, Big Bang Theory. Right. The other was the most influence, like influential uh, sitcom of the 2010s, The Office. And then, of course, uh, Modern Family, the most critically acclaimed and... Uh, progressive, uh, I guess you could say, uh, sitcom of the 2010s. So hopefully that is a spread that represents network television from the decade. That was our intent. But today, we shift gears and move into the depths of basic cable. So if you, back in the old early days of television, yes. sprung for the extra packages... <laughs> you got these cable yeah, sometimes. channels. If you, if you didn't, if you just had that thing coming out of the wall and plugged into the back of your television, I know that's like 30 years ago at this point. Oh, yes. Um, if you had cable, I guess I should say, um, then you'll know that uh, a lot of these just came with the package. Uh, we'll be talking about everything ranging from Cartoon Network to Comedy Central to AMC to FX. To TNT. To, to TNT. USA and yes. the broad spectrum in between. Yes, yeah, so even if though uh, the 2010s are mostly known for prestige on the premium and streaming networks, there was a lot of prestige television still happening in basic cable. And it did help to make the narrative of, quote, golden era of television, unquote, that you hear so much when people talk about the decade. Yeah, so with that preamble out of the way. Yes, without that. Without Shall that we dive right in? Let's dive. So if you listened to the first one or if you didn't, basically our structure here is we're going to go show by show in no particular order and basically talk about it briefly to see whether or not we think it has um, strength, if, if the argument is strong enough to have it be one of our final four. Now, we've gone through some TV shows set for cable. Yeah. We put down roughly... 40 shows it's a lot. that we enjoyed, that we liked, and or yeah, otherwise... Maybe we didn't, and that maybe we other did. people loved. 
yeah, that we didn't watch, but, you know, had the prestige, had the acclaim, had the critics' choice behind it. Right. So we're not necessarily saying that one particular criteria is going to be weighed by uh, more than anything else. Like, just because we like a show doesn't mean it doesn't have a chance compared to something we don't watch. Our approach here is basically to combine all of these points and then, like, come up with, like, the best balance between popularity, importance, you know, quality uh, that we can. Right. And out of those 40 shows, we were able to, off podcast... Narrowed down to <laughs> ten. Yeah, we, we, there were some that we didn't think that hung as as well as the others. But here's where we'll do the real work. Yes, and we'll start with the real work with a show that ran the bulk of the decade. Okay. From 2013 to 2018, uh-huh. was constantly nominated for awards, but never won. Uh-huh. That being said, was always considered the snub when it came to winning awards, and that is. FX's The Americans. Yeah, so this is a weird one because, like, I feel like um, it ran a very long time, but pretty much held the same, like, hardcore fan base throughout. It wasn't something that you heard a lot of people talk about, but the people who loved it loved this show. This, and that will be a thing that you, mm-hmm. a common theme for these uh, cable shows. Yes. Which is it found a certain fan base mm-hmm. and held on to them to get people to talk about it, to bring other people to it. Yeah, in the age of the internet and uh, discussion about television shows being so prominent on the internet, uh, this became more and more common as we went into the 2010s. Fans found their pockets, uh, or, like, shows, I should say, found their fan pockets and, like, found their dedicated base. So, have you watched any of the Americans? I have not. I know about the Americans, about a family, or at least the parents are, Uh of Russian spies in... America, right. who try and infiltrate government. Um, hmm. I wonder why it stopped running after 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they ran out of... I remember at the time, actually, it's funny that you say that, because I remember at the time there was a big discourse on the internet about, like, man, the Americans is running out of plots because it's just real life now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's also probably what contributed to its yeah. eventual cancellation. Because at a certain point, like, you can only write so many shows about Russian interference in American politics before... It happens in real life, and then... I mean, you never expected it to happen in real life, but then when it did, you're kind of just looking at yourself in the mirror like, this is getting way too yeah, out of a hand for our, even our own show. It's far too real. Yes, but that being said, Kerry Russell yeah. nominated every single year for The Americans. That's true, yes. Yeah. So while the writing and like directing, maybe not, it didn't make the, uh, make the, the count. Um, acting, yeah, Kerry Russell was associated with the show. And I feel like now that is who you think of when you think of the Americans. Right. For sure. Uh, but that being said, uh, you didn't watch the show. Mm-mm. I didn't watch the show. So, it's... yeah, it's harder for us to make an argument here besides its diehard fan base and its acting. Yeah, but um, that being said, we will definitely be remiss if we didn't, you know, bring it yeah, up. We, it we, is we something that, you know, was a staple of... Cable uh, programming. And I think it was also part of what helped uh, the network make so much traction in the 20s. And so we'll be talking about uh, FX a lot here. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, speaking of FX. Yes. Another show on FX. I think that's our only other one on there for now. Um, that, you know, had some had some big name weight thrown behind it uh-huh. in uh, Atlanta with yes. Donald Glover. Atlanta is probably number one on my list of shows I know I sh- probably should watch because I know I would love that I just haven't gotten around to doing. 
I watched the pilot, never watched a single other episode again. And I remember really enjoying the pilot, and I thought there was really smart stuff. And since then, I cannot stop hearing people talk about how great this show is. I watched the first season and about half of the second season, yeah. and the first season was phenomenal. It felt fresh. It was something completely different that I didn't expect to watch, enjoy, or stick around for so long. Yeah. And then we got into season two, and it was just more of that. Just more of that that different take mm-hmm. on a network show. Yeah. The things I've heard about it that are definitely, like, make it unique is that it's a unique perspective, first mm-hmm. of all. It's a young African-American man telling his story, which is you don't see a lot on television, period. Second thing is, is that they play with the surreal, like, surrealness of the world, and they, they do a lot of things in the narrative that, like, maybe like a magical realism kind of approach is how I've heard it described. A little bit, but it's also a surreal commentary on what's going on. Yeah, while well, remaining very grounded in about a real place where real people live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this combination and its, like, adherence and, like, its stylistic choices being so close to what hip-hop culture is now, and letting that influence the show, I think it's really cool. And like you're saying, it's a fresh take, and it's a different kind of show. And you know what? The audience reacted to it and love it. Like, it's a huge hit for FX. It's a big critical darling as well. Yes. Um, uh, it's also the springboard that Donald Glover needed yes. to pump up his stardom. There was a two-year period there. 2017 18 i think you could say yeah where donald glover was the person everyone was talking about whether it was atlanta whether it was his music career with that this is america video uh, charles gambino yeah like it was just thing after thing whether it was you know hype about him being in a solo yes as young lando mm-hmm. like there was a period of time where like he was a big star I mean, I'm not saying that's over, but it's at least lessened. The hype is maybe quieter than it was before. Yeah, but when he does come around and do stuff like with The Lion King, it's a big deal. That being said, I don't know whether I'm necessarily the person who thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. I think he's fine. I think... But... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he definitely is... Very creative. I'm not. That's not what we're yeah, saying here. I mean, that's definitely that's definitely fair. Is he's a very creative, talented guy, mm-hmm. and it's cool that he's been able to have such a big um, stage to be on with his with his real creative endeavors. And yeah, it seems like Atlanta is the the crown jewel in that piece. So um, I do intend on eventually watching this at some point when I'm done with the long, long, long list of shows I need to catch up on. Um, but, uh, once I get there, I'm sure I'll enjoy what I see. And so, yeah, this is probably something that sticks around, yeah. um, that we'll definitely have to circle back to. Uh, we'll definitely circle back to, uh, not sure how far we'll go, uh-huh. but that being said, it is something that because it was that fresh take for yeah. that fresh, unique perspective and something yeah. that could only be on a oh, cable yes. show. It cable. is definitely a prestige ass show. And mm-hmm. I'm going to say prestige a lot in these next three episodes because, if the 2010s are going to be remembered for anything, it is, quote, prestige television, unquote, which basically is just TV shows that have a budget that's close to movies. That's really all it means. But it's become, like, symbolic of a certain era where TV started to matter again. Well, it's also become a place where auteurs yes. came, came about to, for, sure. uh, for their projects. Yeah, I mean, we still see it. Like, this, this will date the podcast a little bit, but this week... 
there was news about um, the video game The Last of Us being adapted to a prestige HBO show. Yeah. Because of course it is. We're like at this era now where it's like, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, you didn't really watch Atlanta, so no. we'll circle back around to that. But yeah. a show you did watch. Okay. And a show that you got me to watch. Okay. That started as an internet show. All right. But made its way to Comedy Central. Yes. We're talking about Broad City. Yeah, so, man, uh, I'm glad this is on here because comedy in the 2010s was such a weird, like, amorphous thing. It had so many different, like, like different shows on television were going for very radically different things. And I think when you look back at the, like, the first half of the decade to shows that really changed the tone, you're going to look back on uh, Broad City as one of those. Mm-hmm. It was at a time where, one, there weren't a lot of female-led comedy shows. And two, there weren't a lot of comedy shows, especially on Comedy Central, that weren't just about groups of dudes hanging out. <laughs> I mean, Broad City <laughs> did follow the steps of girls in taking that concept of young yeah. young ladies living in New York City. But it was the opposite of girls, where it was instead of being dra- dramatic, like a mostly dramatic show about the, like kind of heavy subject matter of living in New York as a 20-something. It's the exact opposite. It was like, how can we make living in New York as a 20-something the most ridiculous, zany, like, silliest thing? Yeah. Fun. That show was fun. Everything about that show is fun. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's fresh just like kind of like Atlanta was because it was a fresh perspective. I mean, Mm -hmm. these two women were not the kind of friends, like female friendships... That were typically de- like depicted on television before that. Usually, when you had a show about two like girls, you know, it was it was traditionally something that was mostly about oh, they're such good friends and they're so nice to each other, and occasionally they have arguments. But no, Abby and Alana basically were like friends because they were like both very very ridiculous and very different, and like their differences were what made them come together. They weren't, like, identical twins. They weren't, like, necessarily, like, oh, these two peas in a pod. They were so different that they kind of were able to play off of each other. And, like, that would lead to the zany stuff that would happen on the show. And their dynamic was the dynamic they had in real life as real friends. Which was, it felt real. It felt like a real friendship between two people that wasn't necessarily just about them being women. Yeah, but it also, I mean, that is, I feel... What played to me liking the show, that it uh-huh. felt real, it felt mm-hmm. authentic, especially since they were both head writers on it. Right, exactly. You could tell it was something that they had complete freedom over, which, unfortunately, is why maybe the show was a little uneven in the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts extremely strong. I feel like the, two first, the first two seasons of Broad City are pretty perfect as seasons of comedy television go. Uh, there are so many classic moments, so many ridicul- moments of ridiculousness that like those seasons play really well. But then by the time you get into season three, four, it's like they've kind of not necessarily run out of ideas, but they're like trying to take it into different creative directions that don't necessarily work as well. They were trying to figure out basically how to tame and make the show a little bit more TV. Mm-hmm. And I think it ruined some of that spark. So I kind of dropped off the show a little bit. Right. I but mean, I stepped... I still kept watching it. I still had fun with it. But then you, um, last year, we were talking about the finale season 
uh, you were talking about how you felt like the quality went back up and that the, they did some stuff with that final season that really made it matter again. It and felt like, like because, they, because they knew and they wanted it to be their final season that it allowed them to do the stuff they've always wanted to do, those passion pieces, yeah. and not just have these standalone stories, but create this what we'll get into with other shows that we'll talk about real soon coming up here of a continuous narrative. Right, yeah, Uh, which is cool because that's something that they didn't necessarily need to do early on. But by the time you get that finale season, by the time you reach 2019, television has changed a lot towards that serial model. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, of course, the legacy of this show is that it did open a door for a lot of other similar shows on Comedy Central and beyond it. Like, I think that this is the reason why you have um, Aquafina right. with her own show this year on Comedy Central. If Broad City hadn't happened, I don't know whether that would have happened either. You also see, like, its effect on um, shows like Netflix's Tuca and Birdie, mm-hmm. a show that's also about, I mean, yes, they're technically birds, but also <laughs> essentially about two women in their 20s and their friendship. Yeah. And, like, I think it's really, like, uh, broadened what um, comedy can be um, on cable. And I think it's going to help going forward to have these examples of these strong, popular shows that were not just about a bunch of white dudes hanging out. No, it's about <laughs> these females living in a city, which is very yes. broad concept. Yeah, a think, broad city. <laughs> exactly. I thank that show for taking out us out of the early 2010s doldrums uh, and late 2000s doldrums of Comedy Central, which was The League. <laughs> and... Uh, what was the other show at that at that time um, with the guy work something? something. Oh, workaholics. Workaholics. Because like I just did not care about any of those shows. Because mm-hmm. like why? What's the hook here? I don't want to watch these stupid white guys. That mean Adam <laughs> Divine? Yeah, I don't want to watch Adam <laughs> Divine. Yes. Uh, anyway. So yeah, anyways, I think it's yeah. definitely. I don't know if it necessarily is. Strong enough, maybe to hang, just because of its inconsistency. Okay. But I'm like halfway. I'm like a half asterisk here. All right. Um, I mean, the person you should be thanking for this is Amy Poehler. That is true. producer on this. Yes. Uh, but uh, didn't... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I may okay. be wrong here. But didn't Broad City also introduce some words into our daily lexicon? <laughs> it is the show that gave us Yas Queen. Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. I'm going oh! to go with... <laughs> I'll go with Not the pegging queen. and the pegger and also, the pegasus. Also, it did put, maybe, I don't know if it popularized it pegging. It put pegging on the map. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, voice. Yes, thank you, voice from the... Voice from above. Chat is real today. Chat is real. Thank you, chat. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, pegging. Uh, or at least the idea of pegging. Like it. it also gave us a kimono area. Yes. <laughs> That's my favorite joke in that episode. Uh, oh, man. Or, or my favorite quote, all the good shit's down manholes. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that episode's good, too. Anyway, uh, dog weddings. Don't forget about dog yes. weddings. There's a lot of good stuff. But then again, in. this is all stuff from the first two seasons. Yes. That's the thing, is that like the classic moments were really so front-loaded right. that like it's harder to remember stuff that happened in the later seasons. So, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe we may circle back to this if we don't have enough. We may circle back to it. Uh, Putting Atlanta right there, we're circling back to it. Okay, next. All right. um, Let's 
stop talking about live action stuff. I thought you were just going to say, let's stop talking. I'm like, well, that's going to be a really bad podcast. Uh, okay, sure. let, let's get it to um, some animation here. <laughs> oh, finally. All right, and we're gonna, I'm going to bring up three animated shows at okay. the exact same time here. All right. Because all three of them, yes. I feel like you can't talk about one without influencing the other, without mm-hmm. influencing the other. This is true. Uh, and that is Gravity Falls, uh-huh. Steven Universe, yes. and Adventure Time. Okay, so let's get into this. So if you're thinking at about the 2010s, one of the unique things about the 2010s is that we finally had animation that wasn't just for kids and wasn't just adult primetime animation. There was this real surge of stuff right in the middle, this universal stuff that was being created by people who wanted to make stuff for kids, but also wanted it to appeal to a broad age, like broad audience of any age. This is also the people who grew up watching classic 90s cartoons who finally came into power and their own. I think it's also key, though, that at the same time they were watching these 90s shows for kids, they were also watching The Simpsons. And I bring that up because Mm -hmm. this is the era where those two things finally converged. The comic timing and, like, wit of something like The Simpsons combined with the crazy Nicktoons in the 90s kind of anything-goes kind of attitude. And this is the convergence point of those two things. People our age who were super influenced by that as kids, I know I was, Mm -hmm. this became a movement. And yeah, you see that start with, technically with Adventure Time, animation nerds will be quick to correct me and say that apparently it predates... Adventure Time. With there Over the was, Wall. Um, no, that was post. post. Um, there, the show that I guess is slightly Curated? before it was... Oh, what the hell is that show called? Not regular show. I didn't watch it, but there was a the Cartoon Network show that was right before Adventure Time that apparently a lot of talent came from, and I don't remember what it is. Okay. I'm blanking. But anyways, Adventure You'll Time is the it. one that gets the credit because it was bigger than that show, and it had the bigger audience. It, co- it found... An audience that they didn't think existed, mm-hmm. that comedy set like uh, sorry, Cartoon Network's willing to take a risk on, and yeah, you're right. Ended up launching the careers of so many people and made a decades worth of animated programming matter in a way it hadn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, Adventure Time ran from 2010 to 2018. Yeah, it is the decade, and it might not be done anime. yet. It might not be. HBO Max is apparently going to bring it back for yeah. some original shows. Um, so yeah, it was something that's like, you see it's impacted legacy literally every day on Cartoon Network. You cannot escape it. And on Nickelodeon and on Disney. So let's talk about Adventure Time as a show though, uh, for a little bit instead of just its legacy, even though that is probably enough to keep it hanging here. Yes. But it's also a wonderfully put together thing. There are so many creative characters within that show that just... It itself makes it stand out above everything else. It is incredibly imaginative in both characters, in the world that it creates, in just the way it looks. Mm-hmm. It was doing things that you had previously only seen in like indie, the indie comic scene. Like there was just such crazy imagery happening constantly, and it's a very subversive show because of it. 
So, like, while on the surface it's kid-friendly because it's about these very basic, like, oh, these heroic stories, these kids going, this kid going on adventures, and his talking dog friend. So, like, on paper it sounds like, oh, yeah, this is just a kid show. But then you actually watch it, and there's just this undercurrent of darkness going on. There's these this constant, like, element of fear and actual peril that these characters are in. There's also some real deep emotional ties, which they get into as the show goes on, about, like, uh, you know, relationships, about death, about uh, family, about, like, the... Just the whole... Everything, like, like they manage to make such real, like, feeling emotional stories in this completely off-the-wall, crazy animated world. It also broke from the traditional animation of... Everything resets after an episode. Yes. When we're talking about, like like we said in the last section, like when we're talking about the 2010s, we're talking about the serialization about literally everything in television. Mm-hmm. Nothing is individual episodes, or at least very little is now in 2020. And the reason for that is because just the effect, this trickle-down effect, you could say, of these big prestige shows making serialized, serialized television matter again. And yeah, you even see it in animation because of Adventure Time. They were able to keep these small, albeit important, plot threads going through the entire run of the season mm-hmm. and the series. Maybe it didn't start that way, but they went in that direction over time. And I mean, it's hard to do that in animation, make a yeah. tonal shift and, and stick with it. And let me tell you, Cartoon Network hates that idea Mm -hmm. and the reason they don't like it is because cartoon network's model is so based on syndicated reruns or reruns of their own show that they they want stuff to be put out of order they don't like when people when shows are serialized as to the extent they are now because then they can't replay them because then the kid will be like well i don't know what's going on this is like part two or something i don't know Mm -hmm. and but i think maybe they've eased up their restrictions on that because of what effect that Adventure Time had. Because I think they realized that there was an age group that was being ignored by by television animation. And that would be your late teens, your 20-somethings, your 30-somethings, who didn't feel like there was something they could call theirs. And I think Adventure Time hits that, like, sweet spot in a way, where it appeals to the kids, and it also appeals to this older audience that are looking for these serial stories, that are looking for this emotional connection, and don't mind that it's animated. It's also... Something to point out too that there's adult jokes in oh, this show oh, yeah. everywhere. It's unique in the way that this is, and this started a trend amongst uh, television animation. This is a PG rated show, mm-hmm. so they knew up front that this was not going to be something they could slap a Y seven on and have your, you know, your, your little cousin watch. They knew that there was going to be subject matter, and so that they basically were freed up creatively to make something that was a little, yeah, a little darker tone, a little edgier. And the show takes advantage of that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the shows that kind of went off of that, I mean, first off, Adventure Time, I think it's built a legacy that is safe to say is going to oh, last. I think I think that we're not done, for sure. I mean, yeah. even in 2020, we have the premiere of shows like The Owl House, and that are still like, you're still seeing the effects of people who either work directly on Adventure Time, or were so influenced by it that they were allowed to make shows like that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of... Speaking of shows like that, <laughs> uh, which one do you want? Gravity Falls? Yeah, that's the segue, because yeah. 
um, because uh, well, Dana Terrace, who is the creator of the Owl House, worked on Gravity Falls with mm-hmm. Alex Hirsch. Right. Um, so Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's that. that. Mm-hmm. She yeah. has a lot of credits on that show. Uh, but yeah, um, Gravity Falls is kind of interesting because it was almost almost parallel to the Adventure Time phenomenon mm-hmm. and had just as much influence, except on the other network associated with children's cartoons. Disney, or Disney XD? Or was it proper Disney? So it was a proper Disney Channel show on yeah. its original debut. I right. think they at one point moved it to XD. Um, but yeah, um, Gravity Falls is incredibly important because I think what it means is it took the, uh, the Cartoon Network model and somehow got to Disney Channel. Disney was able to finally take a risk on a show that wasn't just the same old Disney, like... Everything's safe, everything's fine, canon. Safe kid stuff that they had been doing for so long. There are exceptions to that rules, of course, you know, like, I have a soft spot for Kim Possible. Yes. I think it's underrated, it had some great writing back in the day. But even that show was not super, like, broad. It was very much still a kid's show. Yeah, but even that show... Wrapped everything up with its own episode. <laughs> yeah. But, like, what you see with Gravity Falls is you kind of get that kind of same kind of vibe with Adventure Time where you can tell that the creatives were allowed to be as creative as possible. Mm-hmm. There is, just like I said, there's, a, like, a dark undercurrent going on with Adventure Time. That dark undercurrent is almost even more explicit in Gravity Falls. You have this story that's essentially about these kids, but there's also this constant sense of mystery going on in the story of the show. And that takes place in literal episode one yeah. of the show. It starts off that way. And like it makes you think about like, oh, what's actually going on here? And that also has an element to that serialization you're talking about. Where they're able to continue unraveling these secrets as the series went on. But unlike Adventure Time, the the creator also knew when to stop when he was like all right we're good and so the thing about this show is it only has three seasons two two seasons three three i thought it was three but i could be wrong i think it's two but it's spread out over four years regardless it was short it was very short a time on television like all things like all things considered it Mm -hmm. wasn't very long when you compare it to the super long run time adventure time especially but it also was able to spin off a bunch of its creators to other projects. It was also extremely influential in getting other projects like it off the ground at Disney Channel. It's probably why you do see, it's one of the reasons probably why you do see Disney XD going in the direction that it ended up going in. Right, with Big City Greens, with Amphibia, Star Wars Force Force of Evil, Evil. Um, like, and now Owl House. Owl House. Well, even though that's technically a Disney Channel show. Yes. Uh, but still, well. um, you definitely see a ripple effect just like Adventure Time had on Cartoon Network. Just because, like, the network realized, oh, if we don't pander to our kids' audience, audience, the audience will react, like, positively to it. Yeah. But, you know, it's still also Disney Channel as a whole also keeps some of that old style of yeah. running with DuckTales. Right, exactly. But it's a take on DuckTales that that integrates some of that modern stuff you see in it, Gravity Falls. Mm-hmm. It's not just a retelling of the original series. It's a it's a, a series that kind of puts in that sense of serialization, that sense of mystery, that sense of and jokes that your older audience will get. It's like a good like halfway point, I think, between those two things. 
If it wasn't a reboot of an old show, I'd say that DuckTales probably belongs on this list as well. But I think it's a harder argument to make in comparison to something like Gravity Falls. So. Well, it is, because DuckTales yeah. is it's built, a thing. built off of something already, yeah. whereas Gravity Falls is completely fresh, completely new. Okay. Although it does, I'll, I'll say it takes from Twin Peaks. <laughs> I mean, if there's certainly influence. But the fact that we can say that a kid's show um, that's animated on Disney Channel is influenced by... Of all things, Twin Peaks yeah. is insane. And if you had told me that ten years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. I think ten years I mean, almost, ago. Yeah, that was almost when it premiered. But yeah, you know what I mean. 2012. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. I know 15 years ago. How about that? There you go, 15 years In the ago. mid-2000s, if you told me that Disney would greenlight an animated show like based like like loosely influenced by Twin Peaks, I wouldn't have believed you. Right. I mean, that's so off the wall, not on their brand, and mm-hmm. yet... Gravity Falls has become part of their brand. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it just it, just like Adventure Time uh, did on Cartoon Network, it changed what animation can be on that network, mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, we brought up one final animated show yeah. we're going to talk about here uh, by Rebecca Sugar. Yeah. And that is... Steven Universe. So as of this recording, um, we're going, to, we're seeing the um, um, road to the final episodes of Steven Universe, or its current incarnation, uh, Steven, Steven Universe, Universe Future. Future. It has an end now, so the series will end this year. Okay. Um, so it, this is a good time to talk about it, because right. man, um, it's extreme, it's going to be, I think that we haven't even started to see really the impact that the show is going to have, but I think it will end up having quite a legacy. It took a like an element of Adventure Time, which is that serialization, that like character-based kind of narrative, but then did something slightly different with it. They incorporated a whole lot more music. They incorporated a whole lot more characters. <laughs> they they uh, they really dialed into the opportunity that it, that animation presents to tell these really progressive stories. And it all centers around the idea of a family and what is family and yeah. what you make of a family. It's interesting because we talked about Modern Family kind of breaking a lot of these barriers on mm-hmm. network television in the last episode. This is kind of its animated equivalent, not necessarily in tone or yes. you know any of that, but I mean like in the way that it's breaking down barriers, it certainly is. Uh Steven Universe has animation's first uh, same-sex kiss. Uh, same-sex wedding. It also has animation's first same-sex wedding. Um, it's just normalized, and it doesn't really comment on either of those mm-hmm. things either way. It's so normalized in the story of the show that these women can love each other, and these, or at least present these aliens presenting as women. I yes, should say gems. it's key. Uh, um, yeah, it's just not even like a thing. The world, the universe, the show lives in is such one of positivity. <laughs> universe. Yes, universe is one of positivity and personal growth. That it just treats all of this as just normal things to move, like to move on with, and just like live your life. It's at its heart kind of similar to the Good Place, another show we talked about last podcast. It's a show about being a better person at its core. That's mm-hmm. what it, this show is. It's every trial and tribulation that your lead character, Steven, and the ancillary characters go through is all about, I screwed up. Like, I admit my mistake. I want to be a better person. How do I get there? 
how do me how do I work with my friends to become closer and become a stronger individual? And right. work and have us all get stronger. Right. And this show heavily delves into the emotional aspect of it. Not just something yeah. that you physically have to do, yeah. but something that you have to emotionally overcome as well. Yeah, and one thing I didn't talk about uh, with Adventure Time, but it's definitely true for it, is Steven Universe is also the ultimate uh, combination of Western animation uh, tradition meeting <laughs> Eastern animation tradition and yes. smashing together in the new way that we hadn't seen before. 2010s are also going to be remembered for the time where it was now so the creators of animation on TV, on American TV, have so much background in loving anime that they're finally free to use anime influence explicitly in their work. Mm -hmm. You see such a difference when you look at something made in the 2000s and its approach to anime. Like, there's so many shows in the 2000s made their anime jokes where it was like, oh, we're doing like an anime pastiche and everybody's huge and they're big, like Teen Titans like the original Teen Titans. Right. It was very much like, yes, we know anime exists. We're using a little bit of it as a reference material. But you could tell that it was a little like referential and not necessarily influential. Well, it also takes place, I mean, that's being influenced by who runs the show of yeah. people who see animation yes. or anime as, oh, yeah. it's just something that they do, which is very right. over the top, which is different from where we're at now. Well, which right was, now, our creators are our age. They grew up with it. And so now it's so ingrained in who mm -hmm. they are and what they like and the aesthetics that they like that they're taking a more honest look at it. And they're honestly involving it in their show. Right. We're also, because they grew up with it, they see past just the big bombastic right. elements of it and more into the nuances of yes. what these anime characters are and, so, yes, and influenced Steve, by. Steven Universe, more so than pretty much any other show is basically like, let's take some of the basic concepts of an anime and make it an American show. Mm -hmm. Like, you have the same, like, combination of slice-of-life kind of character drama stuff and big, crazy action sequences between these powerful characters. Mm -hmm. It's able to combine the two in a way that isn't... you don't see really outside of anime. Yeah. And, and it's changed, and, like, there's shows that kind of have spun off from uh, Steven Universe, specifically OKKO, OK right. which basically take that and run with it mm -hmm. it's like let's just make this the most anime western animated show ever and i think it started that ball rolling and that we're only beginning to see the effects of right but one of the things that i think hindered steven universe and will continue to hinder it yeah. is its scheduled release or lack thereof yeah. where they would just drop bombs of a week-long episode event yeah. and to, to be fair this is not the creator's fault yes this is cartoon network's fault because as we mentioned before a show that's extremely serialized like steven universe they're not fans of because they can't just replay them at any time so instead of doing a weekly show like they should have with this with this show they instead bombed them in like five episode weeks every like once in a while every few months and it made it very difficult to catch up if you are behind. And so, yeah, you're right. It created this era of who knows when the next Steven Universe is going to be, which we still live in now. Right. Like, yesterday, there were new episodes. Does anybody else know that besides me? Who can say? I don't know. Like, when they announced uh, Future after the movie, I was yeah. like, oh, when's that going to start? Yeah. Oh, now? Now. Oh, what do you mean now? <laughs> like, <laughs> you were working they were on this like already? radio silence for three weeks, and now it's back. So right. it's like... It's unpredictable, and again, it's the network's fault, uh, and it's not going to be an issue once you get, uh, you know, that sh those shows like that on like something like Hulu, where you can just binge them all, or HBO Max, which I'm sure will solve all of this. Right. 
but then you also have a network that's also not putting this stuff on DVD and Blu-ray. It's like, for some reason, they're looking straight at all these fans who would pony up a bunch of money to buy nice packages of the show on disc, and they're not making it. I mean, go to any Comic-Con convention, and you will run into Steven oh, Universe characters easily. Disney did it with Gravity Falls. I don't mm. know why it's so hard for, for Cartoon Network to do it. I don't, just don't know why they're not pulling some sort of Something, trigger. something Viacom money. Probably. But yeah, anyway, uh, the long, long story short here is I think that if you're comparing uh, Adventure Time and Steven Universe in, in importance... I think Adventure Time has a little bit of an advantage here just because we were able to see its influence already. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Steven Universe influence has only begun. Okay, and where do we put Gravity Falls then? Gravity Falls, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it has a parallel almost to Adventure Time. But if the, out, out of the three, though, if you're going to pick one, it has to be Adventure Time. Not saying that we necessarily have to. I'm just saying that if there's go, if we get to that point. Okay. Yeah. I think... I think yeah, when we get to that point, I think Adventure Time. Yeah. When we go past just the TV show and into a legacy uh-huh. type of thing, it's extremely important. It is extremely important. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, well, we talked about animation there for quite a bit. Yeah, we did. All right. Uh, let's switch back over to some live action. And speaking of legacy and being influential and taken from The Simpsons. Okay. Comedy Network or Comedy Network okay. Comedy Central. <laughs> Had a show on the server uh-huh. uh, that took all those ideas of basically random comedy elements, threw them all in a blender, <laughs> and just had fun with it. Okay. And talking about Key and Peel here. Yeah. So, man, if you talk about shows that saw the future. Or eventually became <laughs> the future. Hello. Yeah, like, <laughs> like Key and Peel is that, like, it's that halfway point for Comedy Central, where they're coming off of the huge 2000s, which were huge for them. Mm-hmm. You had the ramping up of South Park. You had incredibly popular shows like uh, like Chappelle's show. Right. And like it created an atmosphere where it was creative-driven, kind of like, again, very male, but we already established that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then Key and Peele kind of comes off of the edge of that, but then also is like a bridge to what would become the rest, like their effect... Those two men would have the effect on, like, the effect they would have on popular culture going forward. <laughs> and, like, yeah, you still, to this day, have people being like, oh, I need to show you this Key and Peele spe- sketch on YouTube, because it's so funny. Mm-hmm. And, like, still, today, the show hasn't been on the air in, like, what, like, five, six years? Uh, five years? <laughs> it ended in 2012 to 2015? Yeah, it was a short run, when you think about it, but, like, man, it, the impact it had on comedy, and the fact that it gave us Jordan Peele... <laughs> I mean, he society. was there, but yeah. Yeah, again, he was probably there, but like, really, society like didn't quite appreciate him as much as we do now. I'm sure just has Chelsea Peretti did appreciate him as yeah, much either. Yes. <laughs> yep. Anyway, uh, yeah, um, I didn't actually watch a whole lot of this. I was kind of like not in a Comedy Central accessible place at the time. Right. Um, it would take until Broad City premiered for me to really get on board, but. Um, but yeah, um, no, I mean same thing here. Like I didn't watch it continuously. But the clips off. I've seen, there's some hilarious stuff in the show. But yeah, I mean go yeah. on YouTube and watch their stuff, and yeah. it is rapid fire comedy. <laughs> the freaking football player name bit <laughs> is the funniest. Some of the funniest television I've seen. Right, uh, we have uh, Obama's anger interpreter. Oh my God. That yes. was yeah, that was an incredibly like 
prescient cultural thing yes. at the time. Uh, they also gave us the lexicon, put the pussy on the chain wax. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Which, in itself, is an absurd concept. Yes, yes. But, it means nothing out of context. No, it means nothing out of context. <laughs> but great. if you say that and someone goes, what do you mean? Then it immediately goes to, oh, I got to show you this, which is where a lot of this uh, yeah. basically derives from. Yeah. But it also kind of influences our fourth category of viral yeah. stuff of the internet age. And that's not the first time we brought this up uh, when we talked about networks and we talked about the late night stuff, especially Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. I talked briefly about like part of the reason why he was so popular, had such a popular show in the first half of the decade was because of the virality of his seg- segments. And I think... Key and Peele is also a great example of that. This period of time that it ran just happened to be the period of time where more and more people were going to uh, television, seeing television through YouTube clips. Mm-hmm. It was a revelation, like a revelation at the time. You still see it now, where some people that's all the the the, way, the only way they watch television now is they'll see clips on it on YouTube the next day. Yeah, or you know YouTube TV where they have everything available <laughs> for you the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's like it's. It's definitely, when you think of shows that were extremely viral, that was it. Yeah, I mean, they kind of, I don't want to say pioneered it, but yeah. definitely took advantage of it and yeah. still, to this day, reap the reward for it. That being said, there's one element that of the show that maybe does kind of keep it in the past a little bit more than the future, which is the very fact that it is a sketch show. Yes. You do not see sketch shows anymore if you're not SNL. And this was still in the era where a network or I guess in this case, cable network, would still take a risk on a sketch show. I think we saw the death knell of that in the last couple of years when you saw some sketch shows get greenlit and then end after one season. And, like, which, what was that one? The the party down. Yeah, and then, like, yeah, just stuff like that. They tried it. They've tried it so many times, and just nothing sticks. That was probably the last one that stuck. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, it's a dying... It's a dying genre on television, I think, because... Of how much more it le- like it lends itself towards a YouTube model, right? I mean, having a single comedian with different characters, yeah, that they can portray in out uh, in episode after episode. But I think Key and Peele's the show definitely influenced Jordan Peele, the writer. Oh, for sure. And that's the other conversation here, yeah. which is yeah, the Jordan Peele has become a cultural force in a way that none of us saw coming. When, you're, when they were watching that show. Right, I mean, but it definitely helped him creatively because when you're forced to get in and out of a scene yeah. in five to ten minutes, it forces you to get to the meat of it, get to the right. joke, get to the punchline, get to the reason you're here, and then move on. Mm-hmm. And that definitely It's been said a lot that his... comedy writers become really great dramatic writers mm-hmm. because of that, exactly what you're saying, is that it's such a refined skill that drama, on the other hand, is almost easier to write. I mean, you can draw, you can play stuff, you can play at scenes that you'll eventually get back to. But yeah, I mean, you couldn't have told, like, another thing, like, where you go back and tell somebody, they wouldn't believe you. If they told somebody in, like, 2013 that Jordan Peele would have been nominated twice for a screenplay Oscar. Like, <laughs> like no one would have believed you. <laughs> so, what, what, what is the new comedy movie he's writing? It's like, what if I told you it wasn't comedy at all? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's weird to think about that stuff and where we're at with Jordan Peele. But, like, yeah, he's, like, a huge cultural icon. Uh, however, yeah, however, on the other hand, I mean, what is he doing? Commercials now? He does commercials. He's <laughs> been in some films. He was in Predator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
He, he has his dabble in uh, TV, cinema <laughs> anyway. life. So yeah, like I think it's definitely important in a way, but probably not to the extent of other shows we've talked about here. Well, seeing as we can only move on four shows on, yeah, and we are on. Well, we already coming up on fifty minutes here. Yeah, so. and we've yet to talk about maybe three of the most important shows. So we got to move on. Yeah, well, two of the most important shows. Yeah, I'm going to say the third one real quick. <laughs> um, get it over with. Just get it over with. Uh, the Walking Dead. So, man, okay, so because I feel like if we don't mention it, people people yeah. will be like, "Well, what do you mean? Why? Why? Why?" So when it premiered, and really early on, this was the hottest thing on television. It was an adaptation of something that some people knew about, a graphic novel series, mm-hmm. um, but it necessarily wasn't necessarily a huge franchise before that like people didn't necessarily they knew about it was about zombies and not too much else at the time it was a super high quality thing that you didn't have to have hbo to watch amc touted that this was a prestige level kind of show on that was access more accessible i mean it was being held by frank darabont which you know helps you immensely oh yeah no and then it was apparently referential, like reverential enough to its source material that people who liked the comics also liked the show, which is rare, incredibly rare to have such like the confluence of both of those things. A something that's like broad enough to be accessible and also like the people who like the source material to love. Um, that being said, the thing about The Walking Dead is that it went on too long. It did. And it still continues <laughs> to go on too long. Even yeah. spun off into other shows yeah. that went on too long. AMC just kept renewing it, and people dropped off of it, and the quality dropped off. And, and so now, basically, only the most hardcore of hardcore people who have been watching since day one care. Basically, it lives so long to, in itself, become a joke <laughs> in television. Yeah, now the conversation about the aforementioned uh, Last of Us adaptation that's coming out on HBO, mm-hmm. that conversation's all about, do we need, though, a show that's basically The Walking Dead? Right. Because now we've gotten so far away from when that was big, that now it just feels like this relic. Right. But uh, yeah, at the time, though, yes, incredibly important. It did help solidify AMC as kind of the the cable equivalent to your HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, and a title that it held with a couple of these other shows that we'll talk about uh, throughout the decade. Yeah. Now, let's get into these shows. We're we're dancing around the big titans in the room here. Yes. And when I say titans, I mean it was literally the thing everyone was watching, everyone was talking about, and was also winning all the awards. Rarely do you have something like that. all three, yeah. uh, That hits all three in a cultural zeitgeist. Yes. You know what it was? Prestige Pre- worldwide. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Every time you say prestige, prestige worldwide. Uh, no, but the two shows we have to talk uh-huh. about. I feel like we have to talk about late here at some point now. Yeah, is Breaking Bad and Mad Men. Yes. Okay. So. All right. So Mad Men is probably the first one we should talk about because one happened first, and then second. It has the more traditional kind of narrative. No. It only happened first by a year. <laughs> yeah, still. 2007 yeah. and 2008. So, yeah. These but. came out of kind of the late 2000s. And so, yeah. It was AMC's first really uh, trying to get their name out there when it came to, like, mm-hmm. dramatic television that, like, mattered in a way that it hadn't before. With budgets that were, like, big enough to actually make high-quality shows. Mad Men, I think, was one of your earliest examples of this working. 
Um, and yeah, it was kind of did capture a zeitgeist for a while. It was kind of the prestige show, cable show that everybody was watching for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if history has been that kind to it. Uh, now it's kind of eclipsed when you talk about stuff like Breaking Bad, which we'll talk about in a moment. But like at the time, yeah, it was incredibly important. I think it mattered because it was. Uh, it was so about the characters. Well, at the time, it was also this big anti-hero type uh, of message, type of show, where are yeah. we supposed to be rooting for this guy? Yes. Do we like him? We like what he's about, but we don't like what he does or how he goes yeah. about it. Late 2000s and early 2010s were all about the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. It was the big trendy thing. Um, and every show had to have their version of that. And yeah, Mad Men was definitely that. Yeah, it was like, like, do we like this guy? I don't know. He's kind of a, he's kind of terrible to women. Kind of all these guys are because it's the nineteen sixties. Um, it's like, yeah, but yeah, it's it, rough. I mean, it, the show did bring us John Hamm and Elizabeth Moss out of it. Yeah, that's true. It popularized as, John Hamm. He was around. Yeah, but yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely kind of like his vehicle for a while. I mean, when you tell someone's a Don Draper, I mean you. Mm. It gives them that personification. One thing I do like about it is that even if it was a period piece, it did kind of like like snake in and out of real life too. Like mm-hmm. the fact that the finale is literally Don Draper coming up with the freaking Coke campaign <laughs> yes. is beautiful. And I'm so happy. That makes me so happy not having watched the show. Yeah. That's amazing to me, and I'm glad that it ended up there. Like one of the greatest bad men yeah. in in history created. Arguably the greatest commercial yeah, ever. You still see it like up in the top, like top ten of ads of all time. And it's mean, right up there with the other Coke commercial of Mean Joe Green. Yes, exactly. And so, like the fact that they were able to like kind of play around with reality is mm-hmm. cool, and is something you can only really do with period piece like that. But like I said, I don't know necessarily if history's been all that kind to Mad Men, and now it feels like a little old compared. It does, I mean, at the time, it was dated about 50 years <laughs> outside of when it's supposed to have its uh, timeline. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but I mean, just the way it was constructed, too. And you do have people say that maybe later on it wasn't as great. I mean, I mean, we are living in a post-Me Too movement, which Mad Men took heavy advantage in playing yeah. to its era. I think it would, harder, it would be harder to make that show now just because of the severity of that stuff. Yeah. Um, that being said, because it is a period piece, they could probably still do it. I mean, they can get away uh, with it. Yeah, but like, yeah, the conversation would be different. You're right. The conversation yes. would be different if that show was contemporary. Um, it would, yeah, it would be a different, you would see a lot of different headlines. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why it's hard for a lot of people to go back to it now. Um, that being said, yes, when it was... When it did premiere and when it was running, it it was was winning awards and it was big. It won the drama categories, it won the acting categories, it won the writing categories. And important, this is our segue here, important that it did at the time that it originally ran, because this next show kind of waited a little bit to catch (laughs) on. Yes. Breaking Bad. Yeah, so man. Oh, where do we begin? Do you know anybody who actually watched Breaking Bad in its original run? Because I for sure don't. Um, no, <laughs> not personally. Because when the show came on, and I knew that it was oh, just this guy. It's a meth dealer show, right? And he's trying to make meth to make money for cancer. It's like okay, like it's okay, per- perfect anti-hero setup, right? But still, it's about drugs. Why would I be interested in this? So, yeah. And I think that a lot of people probably had that same reaction. Because 
basically nobody watched this mm-hmm. uh, when it was originally ran. It was like not. It didn't really catch on until you have Netflix putting the entirety of it of of the show up to that point on around the time I think the second to last season of the show yeah. on AMC, and then all of a sudden it was being talked about everywhere. Like, yeah. people were finally like, oh, so-and-so told me. It was kind of like The Wire, where it's like, it's that, it was one of those shows where everybody tells you, you have to watch this. Mm-hmm. But even to a more absurd degree, it was like, oh, on Netflix, have you watched Breaking Bad? I'm just binging it right now. I just, I'm just i just watching. I watched, like, three seasons in, like, a weekend. See, now that's how I got into <laughs> Mad Men, by right. binging it on Netflix. But I think that was never more prominent than it, when it was with Breaking Bad. Yes. And what it did was it had such an influence influx of people coming off of binging it on Netflix that by the time you get to the final season on AMC the ratings shoot up because all of a sudden all those people who caught up watched it live Mm -hmm. and it became this cultural phenomenon I mean as we'll talk with Game of Thrones later uh, people had house parties to watch the series finale to watch this on a weekly basis it became and I think that it's it's very quintessential 2010s because it was a way to basically pull the influence of streaming and the availability of shows that had never been available in that way before mm-hmm. to influence the actual ratings of its actual broadcast. Especially for serialized shows where you have to watch everything leading up to the most current episode because mm-hmm. you, you need to know what's going on and course, you don't want to get lost. All of this, of course, would not have been possible if it wasn't for the fact that Breaking Bad is an incredibly great structured show. The reason why it caught on as well is because the writing is actually that good. Um, I haven't watched it myself because subject matter is not really, you know, like, like you said, it's not really jiving with me. But um, I can, I can recognize good writing when I see it, and if my understanding is that this is some of the best writing on television. Period. I mean, it did once Mad Men stopped winning. Like, it, it basically superbed Mad Men in writing. Mm-hmm. For there's, the drama character. There's an episode, I don't remember what it's called. There's an episode of this that some, I've seen a lot of people t- 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 say and call the best written episode of television on, in history. I believe that is the same episode that Ryan Johnson directed. I think you're right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so like when you have stuff like that being talked about, it that means you have an incredibly important show. It is yeah, interesting though that when it was new, nobody cared. Mm-hmm. And like that's such an in- interesting thing that could only have happened in this decade. I mean, it is also something that does have a legacy and also gave us some lexicon yeah. words as well. Oh, it's for sure. It's given us so many cultural like touchstones. Uh, the Heisenberg yeah. sticker everywhere you see. Right. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. The just adding bitch to yeah. everything. <laughs> that science, that science bitch gif was like very common for yes. a long time. Yes. Um, uh, yes. Jesse Pinkman yeah. as a character in itself, itself right. which. He was supposed to be written off at the end of season one. But no. But, but they loved him they so loved much, him. they made a change. And yeah, it, it put both him... And also, it was the show that completely changed society's view on... Um, what's his name? The lead character. Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Where it's like, all of a sudden, he wasn't just the dad on Malcolm in the Middle anymore. <laughs> I mean, it also propelled him to a more leading role yes. in film. Yeah, he's become a movie star now because of this. Um, and the creators, of course, have uh, become also household names. And, uh, yes, Ben Gilliam. Yeah, he also has, of course, has his own spinoff, which is currently running Better Call Saul, which mm-hmm. is maybe a little less revered, but equally as um, popular when you're talking about um, ratings for AMC and also uh, awards won. It's consistently nominated in categories in the Emmys as well. 
Right. And even with uh, Breaking Bad being off the air for five years, they was eventually a film on Netflix yeah. that basically topped its charts when it premiered. Yeah, and that was last year. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, the El Camino. Right, yeah. So, like, this is something that I definitely think we could circle back to. It's definitely important. Mm-hmm. It put AMC, like, it made AMC matter in a way that even Mad Men quite, didn't quite do, even though it had a little bit of a late turnaround. Right. But, yeah, I think we can move on and talk about the rest of these here. Okay. Well, there's only one show left, and... Okay. I'm glad we're talking about uh, Breaking Bad and its fan base and how its fan base basically adored what its creator did, mm-hmm. but not to the point of basically berating people for not watching it. <laughs> As that brings us to our last show we're going to talk about here, Rick and Morty. <laughs> so, you know, I was talking about how the 2010s in animation, I think, will be mostly remembered for these, like, creative kids shows like these like your adventure times the flip side of that is that you did also see rick and morty which was like kind of a mutation of um the the simpsons slash family guy kind of primetime show it's also kind of a mutation of what adult swim was doing in the 2000s uh with like adult animation that was weird and eccentric except from the this one, Rick and Morty is that, except from the lens of people who I guess were, um, let's say, writers on sitcoms that maybe didn't get to make the shows that they really wanted to make. Because <laughs> this is just them just completely getting to go as crazy as possible. Which you can do in animation. You yeah. know, you can have that freedom, not, not being constrained by reality. Yeah. Uh, and do whatever the hell you want. So yeah, we mentioned Dan Harmon uh, when we talked about Community, yes. uh, the network show, and I think he's just—he's definitely represented here. His kind of creative approach is definitely seen here. And then of course Justin Roiland, who, if again, if you were like a comedy kind of nerd, you would know because I guess he was a heavy podcaster before this. He had a lot of like uh, independent uh, animated. Films kind of going around mm-hmm. the, the internet at the uh, time. Room 101, I believe, was his thing. Yeah. And, so and then like, he was also very good friends with Alex Hirsch. Right. Of Gravity Falls, which we already mentioned. So this was kind of a confluence between those two men's perspectives. And mm-hmm. what, it, what, what you get is a weird, off-the-wall kind of like, anim, like weird animated world combined with the sensibility of someone who wrote like and created sitcoms with like a weird subversive edge and you just cram those things together and you get rick and morty Mm -hmm. it's a weird ass show and man uh does it have a weird ass fan base now (laughs) yeah uh yeah i think the show while interesting in its own writing and own aspect definitely morphed a cultural Thing, not a zeitgeist, but a cultural thing around it, uh, to the point of talk, bringing up toxic fan bases. Yeah, because and made that a not a norm, but brought it more of a forefront to the head. I think it's a combination of things that all happened in um, in the 2010s over the course of the decade. I think first of all, it does have an element of that anti-hero kind of narrative mm-hmm. we talked about. Whereas, yeah, like the ostensibly the character you're rooting for is the uh, is is Rick, who is kind of a terrible person with a, who has a huge ego, who is extremely selfish, 
who will not, like, he thinks he's the smartest man in the room and um, will not let anybody else's opinions change that. And, uh, like I said, ostensibly, he's supposed to be the star of your show. And the problem that presents is, if the star of your show is supposed to be likable, how do you reconcile the terrible things he does? And something like Breaking Bad, it's easier to do that because it's a drama. With Rick and Mm -hmm. Morty, it's harder to do that because it's a comedy. And you're like, well, this is funny. Oh, clearly he's the guy I'm supposed to be like, that I'm supposed to think is cool, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily true. And so you have that happening at the same time where the internet was also taking kind of like a turn, where you have the, especially around like 2016, around the election, you had this like advent of the, like there's always been trolling on the internet, but massive armies of trolls had never been more organized. And you see that more and more again. You can even see, you can even tie like incidents like Gamergate into this, where it's like attack squads of internet armies mm-hmm. just be coming at you. And I think with just personality wise, the same person who probably is into the idea of ganging up on somebody on the internet is probably also the same person who thinks this Rick character is pretty cool and has great ideas and they see himself in them. Or they themselves in him. They see like, oh, I'm also I am also the smartest person in the room. I also know my opinions are right and everybody else is wrong. And so they don't get that you're actually supposed to not like you're not supposed to. That he's detrimental him. to this world and yeah. to himself. And literally every other character in the show is telling him that. Mm-hmm. But no, a lot of people choose to focus on, yeah, but he's so cool. It's like, no, like, there's even that season three episode where it's like they even, like, based, in fact, the infamous Pickle Rick episode. Yes. Which is one of the weirdest things on television, I think, in television history in a way, because you have, depending on who you are, you can take a completely different takeaway from that episode of that show. The diehard Rick fans love that episode because it's the Rick at the most Rickiest. It's right. Like he's just so adamant about doing his thing the way he wants to that he blows off every other character in that show and becomes a literal android pickle. And then the other half of that show is, no, like, the therapist like is, like, these therapy sessions and actually talking about, like, digging into the reason why these other characters are, like, basically, like, have this person in their family that is affecting them so deeply that they cannot go on in their normal lives like because of this person being such like a big like making such a big negative impact in their life it's in this all of that is in the same episode mm-hmm. and it's insane in a, in a kind of like and that's like why a, like that's why people gravitate to the show is because the writing can be that insane and yeah. that poignant but, but at the same time how good is your writing if your fans don't get the message? And that's the that's the struggle I have personally with the show because I do think there's a lot to love in those first two seasons. Mm-hmm. I think there are really good tele- like episodes of television in there. I think some of the stuff that they are allowed to do just because of how crazy they're allowed to be is really cool. You don't see on other other shows. But by the time you get to like the later seasons of the show, starting with season three, you see kind of the like what they can do kind of like stretching a little mm-hmm. bit. And you're like, well, they clearly don't have quite the spark that they did before. And you that kind of conflated with the fan reaction and literally the freaking stuff with the sauce at McDonald's. Yeah, all happening at, sauce. Yeah, all happening at once. And then you realize, oh, wait, they're kind of not policing this either. They're not getting in front of this fan base either. And so... 
they're just kind of like they've lost control of their creation. Lack of responsibility. Yeah. The, the train the, the train was off the rails at that point. Yes. And I think it still is. But then you have uh, Comedy Central, or not Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, of course, being like, no. No, not Cartoon Network, Adult Swim. Yes, technically. <laughs> there are different entities, you're correct. Uh, being like, no, this is all great. This is all gravy at this point. Mm-hmm. Let's sign them up to give what, give us 90 more episodes of this thing. Well, you know, when you have your <laughs> basically revenue of uh, merchandising continuously pouring in, you're yeah. like, yeah. It's like, let's why stop train. now is what they're thinking. Why, why do you want me to turn off this money faucet yeah, that I found? It's their biggest hit since Adventure Time. Yeah. It is that big for them. And so, yeah. It's a complicated-ass show, and I don't know if it hangs out with the rest here. But it's definitely interesting to talk about just because it is kind of so many trends, so many 2010s trends coming to a head. And yeah, right. it's it's such a weird cultural artifact. It is. And we have other shows we could have talked about too. Yeah, we have 30 other shows we could have talked about. There's some honorable mentions for y'all. Uh, American Crime Story and American Horror Story. Yeah. Um, good hits for FX. Um little more on the limited series edge of things, which is why they're not really included here. Mm-hmm. But that like made another kind of argument for different kinds of uh, prestige dramas on television. Uh, Star Wars The Force of the Evil and Star Wars The Clone Wars. Yeah, uh, both of these important in their own ways. I feel like The Clone Wars is more of a 2000s show than it is a 2010s show, so that maybe yeah. is why it doesn't hang here. Star also, that conversation would be so indebted to Gravity Falls existing mm-hmm. that it would be hard to make it stand on its own, even though it's one of my personal favorites. Right. And then, uh, speaking of, you would mentioned that anime played a big influence <laughs> in those animated shows, but even anime itself had new shows to give yeah. to us uh, with Dragon Ball Super, My Hero Academia, One Punch Man, and Attack on Titan. Yeah, interesting uh, to, like, to, that this was definitely an era where, yeah, you saw a normalization of anime happening. I think because internet got big enough to where yeah. you could have subs being released right. and adored around the world at the same yeah. time. The only reason why I'm hesitant to talk about this in the cable section is because of how most people in the 2010s engage with anime now is subscription services like Crunchyroll. Right. So I would say this is more of a streaming conversation. Maybe. So maybe we can circle back to these in streaming. We'll see about that. Uh, but uh, we did talk about Better Call Saul. Yeah. Brought up Drunk History. Yeah. Uh, for Comedy Central. Um, Archer. Uh, for FX, yeah, Archer is interesting because it is kind of like a halfway step to your to your Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. where it's like it takes the influence of previous um, like primetime kind of style animated shows and carves out a little of no niche for itself. And then we also had a bunch of you know personal favorite shows yeah. um, that in no way, shape, or form would ever make anyone's cut, <laughs> yeah. but the concepts of and the comedy driven style of it we enjoyed. Uh, being of Angie Tribeca, yeah, Suits, Man Seeking Women, Vanderpump Rules, yeah, Guys Grocery Games, uh-huh. Cutthroat Kitchen, Duck Dynasty, <laughs> Pawn Stars, Storage Wars, Portlandia, yeah. and Documentary Now. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot to say about all of these um, in their own little ways. I think the, the vast majority of these are reality shows, and like I said, in network. It's hard to talk about reality shows because they kind of settled into a groove in the 2010s and mm-hmm. this weren't necessarily a big deal anymore. Right. Like a lot of these shows were shows that are shows that you could just kind of put on in the background and be cool, but like your storage wars and your like and your your um, chops and your stuff like that. It's very much like reality show just got into a very specific mode at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but that does circle us back around to moving shows on to our All stars. right, so what do we have four asterisks here? I have four asterisks. Okay. I want to see how you feel about them. All right. Uh, we have Atlanta. Yes. Broad City. Uh-huh. Adventure Time. Okay. And Breaking Bad. All right. Uh, mainly because Atlanta tops the Americans. Yeah. Uh, Broad City was just so unique in its yeah. own right. Adventure Time topped the animation. And Breaking Bad topped Mad Men. Honestly, this is a really good four. I like those four. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't even know if we need to debate this because like there are four things that are all very different that all have like a very like re- a reason why they're incredibly important. With Broad City, it's like important because it like it expanded a lot of what what a comedy series could be on cable. With Adventure Time, it like completely changed the face of television animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Atlanta, you have kind of a new school kind of approach to a comedy drama with like surrealist kind of takes on a cable network. And then with Breaking Bad, you have kind of like a quintessential example of the older style of like what we call prestige television vision, and that became extremely popular with the influence of things like streaming. Right. Now, my only idea, or my only change, would be between Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. But when we talked about it, I think you swayed me to saying Breaking Bad over Mad Men. I just think it's because it's uniquely... It was a uniquely 2010-like situation. Yeah. And it... Unlike Mad Men, like, it's something that is still in the the zeitgeist and still talked about today. Right. I mean, like I said, we had a new movie come out for it, and there's even talk of it... Mm -hmm. Being uh, revived in a way yeah. with uh, some and, of the characters, and even had its own spin-off. Yeah, its universe lives with on in Better Call Saul. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy with those four. Yeah. All right. So those are the four moving on then. All right. All right. We don't have to debate for another yeah. twenty minutes on this. We're good with like an hour and change this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, there's some good. There shit. was some really good stuff. We talked about uh, every show. We talked about what is like pretty good mm-hmm. like all things said and done i like, think of these 10 shows you see them on a lot of top 50 oh, yeah. 100 lists yeah i think we covered a TV. lot of people's top 10s right there yeah so yeah i'm good. already confident going into our uh, second half here uh with the picks we've had so far so let's do a little quick recap of the mm-hmm. two we've done so far so we started last time with network television where we narrowed our four choices down to uh the, the- office Go ahead. This is us. Yes. I'm trying to remember. Um, <laughs> um, a- ABC and NBC. Big Bang Theory CBS. and Modern Family. Yep. And this time we have not uh, narrowed it down to Atlanta, on Broad FX, City, on uh, Comedy Central, Central, Adventure Time on, on Cartoon, Cartoon Network. Network, and Breaking Bad, Breaking Bad on, on AMC. AMC. So there we go. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yes. Little, something for everyone this list so yes. far. And we're not done. So... We will continue our uh, narrowing down uh, when we talk about premium cable next. And basically that becomes to which HBO shows? That's your HBO shows, but that's not just HBO. This is also where your Showtime stuff will be. Yes, your stars. Uh, We're going to throw in ESPN there as well. Yeah, your... I guess, yeah. You yeah. know, I would probably have put that in cable, but eh. No, we put that in premium here because it's an extra cost. Now it Sports is. Sports doesn't necessarily come all standard. Ten anymore. years ago it did, but not yes, anymore. Yes, not anymore. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about 
the ultimate of prestigious prestigious stuff next time. <laughs> and then, then after that, we will do a show all about streaming, the most modern of our categories, yeah. uh, which we'll talk about the worlds of Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. So we'll get there. Yeah, those all count. Those all count. Uh, but yeah, thank you all for tuning in to this second episode of yes. our March Madness television bracket style. Um, we will have more episodes for you next week. However, if you're listening to this in the future, <laughs> uh-huh. and those shows are already up, you can listen to them right now. Bye!